Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I lost my old external hard drive. Like, it didn't have anything, like, crazy on it, but I, just, I need it to, like, move shit to now. Yeah. It's not going to be here for another couple days. So I'm just, like, having to fucking, like, <laughs> delete oh. things, shift things around, <laughs> trim this down, fucking. Oh, no. Welcome in at the rink. Uh, DNBR Avalanche at the rink podcast. Second week now, second installment. Uh, Megan, I think the debut went pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this last week, though, I've been really excited for this episode. Yeah. Button up what we're going to do. Some really exciting topics on deck. Yeah. No, it's uh, it was fun because, like, the first episode of something is always like, a, well, let's see how it goes. Let's see if people like it. Let's see how it sounds, whatever, whatever. Uh, but, no, I'm with you. I think uh, seeing some of the feedback that we were lucky enough to get uh, last week, uh, we also dropped uh, any DNVR diehards out there. The uh, Sunday at the rink uh, written piece is live on the site right now. A lot of really great feedback to that as well. So like you said, Megan, uh, I've been excited. I've been excited to do this one uh, and get back into it. And I'm actually, I'm already excited for next for week's next show. Week's, yes. uh, because as of this morning, I was already we were already starting to work on uh, stuff for that. And I think that's um, the fun part of it for me is when you're excited to do the content, especially in a long season like this. Uh, I was talking with someone at the at the game the other night and they're like, Oh, we're getting here into the dog days of the season and all that. Uh, and so it's fun for me being on this side of it when you get to be excited about stuff that you're doing. One thing about me is when I'm in that room and I hear something I really want to share with you guys, I don't want to wait a whole week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are things Bednar told us this morning that I want to talk about in today's episode, but yeah. we just have to rein it in a little. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you want to be getting as much content, uh, for all those episodes as you can. But like you said, uh, even up to this morning, there was stuff that we were trying to get incorporated into this, but uh, don't want to pour all of that uh, on on our man Yah here. So let's get into this. Um, Jesse Montano, she's Megan Angley. We got uh, Yah here, uh, Vasquez behind uh, the board, making sure you guys can see us, hear us, all of that good stuff. Uh, we are going to talk about Jean Luc Foodie today. Uh, I wrote about him in in the in the post this week. Thought he's ha he had a really good stint. His stint is over. We're going to dive in a little bit more of that, how the organization is viewing him. We talked a lot about Martin Cout last week, but we are going to circle back around to him uh, because since we've talked about him, I think there's been quite a few developments. You were able to talk to him, uh, Colorado Eagles head coach Greg Cronin, and then, like you said, we heard some more stuff uh, from Jared Bednar this morning um, pertaining to all of that. We're going to talk a little bit about the Avs goalie tandems, where they are the Avs goalie tandem, just one, not multiple, uh, where they are kind of right now. We've seen a little bit of a dip in play from Georgiev, 
Uh, maybe some more consistent play out of Pablo Franco's. how we see that. Uh, but first, before we get into all of that, we are going to talk a little bit about what's going on around the league, just some fun stuff to keep an eye on. Uh, and we do have to actually start with something that wasn't on our agenda uh, for today's show until this morning. Uh, the Avs do make a trade. Uh, Dennis, I keep wanting to say Milgren, but there is no R. Milgren uh, from the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Dryden Hunt. Megan, this is a one-for-one deal. Moving out maybe a little bit of grit, taking back a little bit more speed and skill. You and I were talking this morning at Morning Skate. Not really much of a change in the player that you're getting here you're looking for someone in your bottom six and with what Bednar told us this morning about how decisions are being made with some of the reassignments that are happening he is really looking for offense and there were wonderful things to Dryden Hunt's game but that was an area that he just really struggled to produce and this is hopefully the skill upside that this player in return will bring to the lineup because Mm -hmm. it felt inevitable that Dryden Hunt was looking at going back on waivers and likely being claimed probably by New York yet again. And so this is at least the Avs getting something in return. And it is a different sort of player too. Like what Dryden Hunt brought to the lineup is different than what you can expect from Malgan. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you made the point this morning uh, because really to me, I, I looked at it as like, oh, they're trying to just find a spark, trying to find, you know, anything in that bottom six to change it up a bit. But you made the great point that look, uh, not to say that Dryden Hunt hasn't had good moments, didn't have good moments, hadn't had some good games. Uh, I actually thought that he could have really sparked something big in that Boston game had they maybe had the roster, uh, you know, to to go head to head with Boston. Uh, but he just wasn't getting it done. We all expected that as this roster started getting back to full health, that he would be on the outs. You make a great point, Megan. This is a guy that was already claimed on waivers this year. He's got NHL experience instead of losing him for nothing, get something in return. Uh, so I thought that was a great call out for you. Expectations for, for Mulligan? It's not so different from my expectations from Hunt, though you'd yep. like to see some of that skill upside translate now um, in the bottom six as it it looks a little bit different even from it did a couple days ago now that Foodie and Houdon have been reassigned. We're looking to Myers. We're looking to Cow. I'm not sure how the lines are going to actually shake out, but wherever he ends up there... Um, you're hoping that he can infuse a little bit of offense and at least generate chances because the lack of finish has been a problem throughout the whole Avs lineup the last few games. So hopefully he can find the back of the net. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing that you're looking for um, right now. We don't need to reiterate ourselves. Again, you need some depth to chip in every now and then. Uh, Dennis Mulligan, uh, Swiss-born guy, former fourth-round pick, five foot nine. Uh Listed at about 175, so this is definitely an undersized guy. Uh, I reached out to some folks that I know in Toronto. They said, look, he does good things. He goes to the right areas, plays with speed, struggles to put the puck in the back of the net there. So uh, I don't know. You maybe get him into this app system. Maybe he clicks a little bit better. We will have to wait and see. But um, that is a pickup for the Avs, 750K for the rest of the season. Pretty, uh, pretty low-risk move either way you spin it. Uh, let's take a look just – Outside of the Avalanche organization, but not without its Avalanche ties. Um, Philadelphia Flyers forward Lucas Sedlak has had his contract terminated, not necessarily because of anything he did, but it was time for him to go home. Uh, He just said that he felt like he needed to be back home. Megan, you wrote about it in this week's Sunday at the Rink. Uh, What was it that stuck out to you about this Lucas Sedlak news that he's leaving? 
I think I looked at that waiver claim early in the year, especially seeing the injuries play out the way that they did with some longing. Like, mm-hmm. actually, I think the Avs would have liked to have a guy like that still in the lineup because he was producing a little bit minimally in Philadelphia, and he was playing an energy third-line role there that mm-hmm. I think they're very different teams, but the circumstances of injuries with Avs probably looked at that like, dang, right. we wished that hadn't happened. But because of his ultimate decision to return home, I think that would have been inevitable, right? There was just... Something that he was looking for, being close to home, being close to family, that whether he's in Colorado or Philly, we no longer have to wonder what could have been with Lucas Sedlak and, you know, wishing him the best on the next leg of his journey. So let me just ask you real quick. Do you think if he doesn't get claimed and he gets to stay in this system playing with Jared Bednar, does that make any difference? Or do you think this is he wanted to go home pretty much regardless? I still think he would have found himself longing for home just because he would have likely then just been reassigned to the Eagles for some indeterminate amount of time. And we are looking at how Bednar is seeking out something very specific in this lineup that yeah. there's no saying that Sedlak would have been able to show out immediately and stick in the Avs lineup, even if he was recalled at a later date. And I'm sure that type of consistency would have been a determining factor in him wanting to stay in Colorado. And I don't know that that would have been guaranteed. The injuries have allowed just for so much fluidity that I still think he'd find himself in this room. Yeah, no, it, it, it's like you said, it, it ends up being one of those great unanswered questions, but maybe now a little bit less longing, I think, is a great way to put that. Uh, three goals, eight points in 27 games for Lucas Sedlak with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, to your point, that would have been some nice production for the Avs bottom six. But either way, uh, he is heading back uh, to go play for uh, HC uh, Parubis. Uh, in the in the Czech, I believe it's the Czech Pro League. I don't think it's Czech 2 or anything like that. Um, but so you wish Lucas Sedlak the best. Uh, moving along here, this is something that I wrote about very briefly, but I do just think it's cool. Anytime you get to be in this room uh, and, and you're watching this, and, and I we're in a room that I don't think anybody thought we would be in five years ago. Alex Ovechkin uh, now officially in the 800 Gold Club, just the third player in NHL history uh, to reach the mark. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I know there's people who have had their issues with Alex Ovechkin over the last year with all the stuff that has gone on in Russia. He's in the past been a very outspoken Vladimir Putin supporter. You know, feel about that however you want to feel out there. I'm not going to tell you right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. Um, But no matter what, Alex Ovechkin, as Gary Bettman put it when we were in Finland, he's not playing for Russia. He's playing for the Washington Capitals in the NHL. And right now, uh, he is, I believe, 92 goals away from passing Wayne Gretzky for the all-time goals lead in NHL history. Um, I remember talking about this back in high school with friends. Like, could he ever actually get there? I don't know. He'd have to stay at such a, a high pace for so long. I think this is really cool. I found myself asking several times in the last week, is Ovechkin playing tonight? Because he's one goal away from Gordie Howe for number two overall. Megan, do you find this stuff cool and interesting when you have like the opportunity to witness this kind of history, or is this kind of just another footnote for you? Well, I only get this lifetime to experience hockey, yeah. and I'm watching history unfold that will be in hockey's history forever. And yeah. so I still think that's really cool, and yeah. I think it's completely feasible, too. It's within reach. You know, yep. he's projected to probably have something close to a 50-goal season. Mm-hmm. Two more seasons, and he's there. Right, right. And he trademarks the great chase like he is also taking – full advantage of what this means for him too. I I think it's good for the league and growth of the game because that draws eyes to this sport when they see history being made like that. People who are not hockey people. I think that's a great point making because like seriously, I mean, you're, you're talking about 
Wayne Gretzky was 92 goals clear of second place. And second place is Gordy Howe. Like, you haven't, we haven't had anyone in this territory for this era, this generation of hockey. And I think that's a great point that once you get through next season, like, you really are. Like, you're on history watch at that point. Like, I, I do think it will be not next season, but the following, barring, you know, health and right. all of that. And no more lockouts, hopefully. That's the other thing that... Obi's gone through two lockouts. If you take out those two lockouts, we're probably like looking at this as maybe this season. Um, but yeah, once you get into that room, it is, I love the way you just said that you only have this lifetime to watch hockey and we haven't had anybody in our lifetime, in our generation that is flirting with this type of historical, uh, marker. Um, and it would just be really cool. And for me, I think he's, he's gotta be going for 900. The record's 894. Right. You want to be the first player to hit break it, to right. hit 900, even if he gets to 900 exactly or 901. Like I, I think that's what he wants. Um, he's got three years left on the deal. I'm with you. I, I think it's now just a matter of when, not if. Um, but I, I do. I just think this is so cool. And for me, what makes it fun is you go back to those conversations that you know people had 10 years ago of could he do it, and it's I don't know. That's a ridiculous pace. Like you said. 37-year-old Alex Ovechkin is on pace. He's actually on pace for a 60-goal season. I don't think he quite gets there, but he should land somewhere right around 50 at his age. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, he, he already set the all-time NHL record this season for, for most power play goals. Um, it's just fun that he's now into that territory where it seems like every other night he's knocking on the door of some record. So... Um, Megan, you you put it fantastically. You only have this lifetime to watch hockey. Tune in and watch the, the history being made. You don't even have to like the player. Um, it's history being made, and you want to say that you watched it and you saw a, a Gretzky record fall. So um, good stuff there. Last thing that we'll wrap up here, and then we're going to dive into a little bit more of um, Av-specific stuff. Megan, the trade deadline is March 3rd. Uh, so we, as much as it is still, you know, eight, nine weeks away, we are rapidly barreling towards, uh, that line. I imagine after the next, probably after the new year, a lot of the, this show, will talk about trade deadline and what we're hearing and who they like, who they're calling on, who's this, who's that. So we're not going to get too much into that right now. Uh, but I did write about it a little bit. Maybe some of the names that are on the Avs radar, some of the conversations that we're hearing out there. Do you have anyone kind of like marked right now that with knowing that there's nine weeks, 10 weeks to go that you're saying, I'm keeping an eye on this guy. I think this would be a good fit. And it's not even personally players that I am right. looking for. It's yeah. just like what I think makes sense and mm -hmm. writing on the wall, that kind of thing. Bo Harvat is one just yeah. because of Vancouver's familiarity here. Um, mm -hmm. Watching the Avs, they have scouts here regularly and just what the Avs are also in need of in terms of a centerman. Yep. And that just is a need that has not quite been filled yet. Um, the only difficult thing with this conversation is what the Avs lose. And they're a little asset poor in terms of prospects that you're mm -hmm. looking at something big leaving Colorado to make any of these happen, right. any trade truly, like even if you're targeting a Jonathan Tapes type. Right. And so for that reason, I'm still not diving too deep into looking at any one player specifically because I'm just not sure what the Avs can afford to give up until their lineup gets healthy. Yeah. Then I think they'll be able to better evaluate that yeah. and their needs. 100%. And that's, that's going to be the thing that 
we will keep coming back to with the abs as we continue to to pick up the trade deadline talk uh, here over the next few weeks is it's got to work asset wise. You know, we saw people putting uh, proposed trades out there, uh, fan proposed trades of new hook, Byram, and a first for Bo Horvat. It's like three first round picks for Bo Horvat. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think I, I no matter what happens, I would be shocked if the Abs use their own first round pick in the 2023 draft. It's a coveted year. Yeah, it's a good I, draft year. I think that is going to be their most valuable chip. That's why Joe Sackick held on to it last year. Uh, you know, we we talked to some people in the organization, and we were told we the 2023 first was on the table last year, but that was more coveted than the 2022 first. So the Abs understood what they had. They held on to it for a reason because they knew they're going to be a little asset poor this year. They wanted to have that chip, uh, you know, in their repertoire to be able to deal this summer or excuse me, this, this season uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, Bo Horvat is one of the guys that I wrote about this week. And then you mentioned the other one as well. Jonathan Taves. I think those two guys make sense. Leadership type guys that can fill that second line center role. Um, I also do know, I know the abs really like Patrick Kane. They called on him last year at the deadline to see if they get something to work. He just wasn't really ready to move on yet. Um, the Avs circled back multiple times this summer. Is he ready yet? Is he ready? All right, let us know. Let us know when he's ready. Um, obviously, Patrick Kane, I believe, and Jonathan Taves have the full no-trade clause. They're going to have some c- control over where they go. Um, if either one of those guys says, hey, I want to go play in Colorado, that could actually help the Avs. We saw it last year with Claude Giroux. Right. The Flyers maybe didn't get the return a lot of people thought they would, but Claude Giroux said, I want to go to the Florida Panthers, and that's pretty much the end of the list. So they had to take what they could get. Um, I also think the Avs are swinging for the fences, Megan. Like, I, I think they understand we have this year before McKinnon's cap hit goes up to the highest paid player in the league next year. I think they're going to try to maximize this window here. People that you're talking to, do you kind of get the same sense? Absolutely. And I think that's why no one's written this team off, even in seeing it as injury depleted as it is now. They know that fully healthy, this is still a contending team. And those missing pieces, we've seen them pull off magic around the deadline. I think that's going to happen again to some degree. Yeah, no, I I agree. And uh, you were hoping maybe Newhook could fill that internally. We'll maybe talk more about Newhook next week. Um, I, I, I he's 21 years old. I think he's having a really nice sophomore year, um, but he just didn't step into that second line center role that you maybe thought he would. Uh, so you're right. Like to me, Bo Horvat, Jonathan Taves are kind of the, they've got my antenna right now for sure. Um, that's really it in terms of stuff from around the league or, you know, fringe as stuff. Let's dive a little bit more. Um, into some of the topics that we wrote about more at length uh, this week. And again, uh, DNVR diehards, you can always go to the DNVR.com and check out Sundays at the Rink. Uh, it is a written piece that will be coming out that touches on some of the stuff that we are talking about here on the show. Maybe breaks down a little bit more with different video or whatever. Um, but I wanted to expand a little bit more on a few of those. Uh, starting with Jean-Luc Foodie. I have to be candid here and tell the kind of funny story of this, of this topic. Uh, Megan, I was putting the finishing touches on this, uh, what was that, Saturday, uh, in the press box. You and I were talking. We were both kind of working on this, and I hit the last period on my Jean-Luc Foodie segment, and I said, well, now that I wrote this, he'll get sent down tomorrow. And just after midnight that night, 
they reassigned John Luke Foodie to the Colorado Eagles. So uh, we kind of knew this was we we knew this was going to happen. We didn't know, but we did. Um, but I really don't think that that reassignment changes anything for me in terms of John Luke Foodie um, and what he was able to do in this first NHL stint. Um, look again, we we very tongue in cheek joke about you and the prospects and you know, you've, you've done Eagles coverage in years past. So you're very familiar with these guys. And even you were saying Megan that foodie was not someone that we had pegged for getting a call up this year uh, to the NHL. The injuries changed that, that changed the opportunities for foodie. Um, and I thought he came up and made a huge impression on the organization. And I wrote in, in the piece, I thought it changed the conversation around him as a prospect how do you feel about Foodie now after his first NHL call-up versus how you felt about him coming out of training camp? Significantly better, but you know, unsurprised, and here's why. The way that Foodie progresses is lightning fast, in my opinion. Like, even just looking at his last season, he really took a step forward. We talked about it after he was scratched in March. Then into the Calder Cup playoffs, he became a really responsible player, scoring important goals at important times in the American League, mm -hmm. in the playoffs. Yep. And that's a lot to ask of such a young player. Like, he turns 20 in the playoffs. And then coming into this season, he has a hot start with the Eagles. And it's just a continuation of what he showed in the playoffs last year that he really internalizes the messaging that he gets. And he's able to apply it pretty quickly. Yep. And so for that reason, I'm not entirely surprised that he impressed enough in Loveland early on to get a call up. And I'm not surprised, though, that he's getting sent back for a little bit more work Jared Bednar said this morning, the teaching league, that's what the American League is for. It yeah. is to teach, and, and that is what Foodie just needs a little bit more of. But that was exactly how he was presented to. No one was saying that he's NHL ready at the moment, but it was nice to see some of the NHL tools, especially in his playmaking yep. on an NHL stage, that I'm not surprised we're in this room because I think Foodie's going to continue to impress us pretty quickly, honestly. I think he's going to continue having mm -hmm. an excellent year in Loveland that he's going to make a strong case that this isn't the last we've seen of him. Yeah, so a couple things that you just said there. One, I, I loved what Jared Bednar said this morning. I'm glad you brought it up about how we try our absolute hardest to not develop guys at the NHL level. That's what the American League is for. So they can learn, they can make the mistakes, they can understand. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, you're talking about how you know, you're not surprised by some of the stuff he's done. And you mentioned his tools and stuff. I talked to Kale McCarr in the locker room and there was some things that in a positive way, surprised Kale McCarr about what Jean-Luc Foudy was able to do so quickly at the NHL level. Yeah. I think the thing that sticks out for me most on him is, uh, he's not afraid to drive, um, to drive to the net or go around, um, go around D and, and take it to the net in those hard areas. So that's not something you see from, I mean, he's not, he's not an overly small guy, but he's, uh, he can definitely take it to the net, and um, obviously that's a that's a really key part of our team identity, and it's cool to see that. So, so you know, again, it's and the way that Kale talked about him was really, I think, how a lot of people saw that. Like you said, we know he's got the tools, you see the speed, you see the skill, but it was his ability to apply them as quickly as he was at the NHL level. I think that caught me a little bit off guard, and why I think it has really, I think it's bumped him way to the top of this pipeline for the Avs prospects in terms of, wow, maybe we have another kid who's not as far off the NHL readiness, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to, you know, I don't know how I'm trying to say, he's not very far off from being NHL ready as maybe we thought he was coming into the season. He didn't look completely confident at every point, but he looked more confident than you might expect such a young player to, and you could see him building confidence throughout the course of a game, yep. and 
that was the criticism of Foodie, is being too much of a perimeter player. You're seeing him drive to the net at the NHL level. Mm -hmm. That is just a testament to the way that he can receive messaging and incorporate it into his game kind of fearlessly. And the mental maturity, too, that it takes to do that is something you have to credit Foodie with as well. Yeah, and, and we talk a lot at times about the difference between the AHL game and the NHL game. And maybe there are some guys whose games, you know, are better fit to the NHL. Foodie's a guy that I maybe look at as that could be the case. Cause I, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Megan, but like to me, he was a guy that again, we didn't think he was going to be getting a call up. This is a guy that was in the mix with all the other Eagles guys. Well, let's see, you know, he, he wasn't really a focal point. Um, and I think you get him to the NHL level and you say, oh, well, maybe this is a, just a different kind of player than we thought. He grows really quickly. And I think that's how he's going to separate himself from other prospects. And he's different from the other prospects. Mm -hmm. Just mentally, he's just a little bit different. Like he is really confident in himself as a player so that even when he does receive feedback on his game, criticisms of his game, he doesn't take it personally. Mm -hmm. It might not always immediately click for him because apparently he's a little stubborn, but <laughs> He, he gets it. He's, yeah. He has a lot of pro habits in that regard, and I think that's where he's really going to begin to separate. Um, and this time at the AHL level, I don't think it's going to hamper his confidence in a negative mm -hmm. way. I think he's just going to continue working because he's hungry to get back. Yeah, Newhook was a guy last year that had to figure that out a bit. Uh, you caught up with him about uh, Jean-Luc Foudy as well. Yeah, um, you know, I think my initial emotions were definitely disappointment and, you know, a bit of frustration, obviously, but um, I think after a bit of time to be able to settle down and kind of evaluate the situation, um, you know, a lot of guys don't stay in this league uh, from the start without having to go down and play some games in the NHL and just use it as a learning opportunity. I think, you know, the coaching staff's really good down there, so I just tried to soak it as much as I could. Um, learn as much as I could and then just play my best and, and like you said, kind of leave him no option but to but to bring me back up and um, I think that's kind of the mindset anyone should have going down there. It's kind of more of an opportunity to learn than um, you know, a setback, I would say. And looking at someone like Foodie, I'd probably say he's in a position like that where he wants to be in the NHL full-time. You've played a little bit together. It seems like you've found some chemistry. You're on the second power play together. What are your first impressions of him? Yeah, I think he's a great player. I played with him a bit in the AHL. I get to know him a bit, you know, down there and um, I feel like we're pretty close, uh, you know, as, as friends off the ice. So for him to come up and I think he's had a pretty good impact on the team so far. Um, you know, he skates well. He's been making good plays, and uh, he's a fun guy to play with. You know, when he's when he's skating and doing that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's good for him, and um, you know, who knows how long the opportunity is. But I think he's making uh, a good impression up here. It's got to help having guys that you are familiar with. They they're good friends off the ice. All of that. It's got to help a guy like Foodie feeling just a little bit more comfortable. Um, but what Newhook was talking about when, when you were chatting with him, that's what Foodie's going through right now. You got a taste. You know what it takes. Go down, polish, perfect, come back in, make an impact. I also liked what Newhook said there about he's had a good impact on the team. That was something that I talked to Makar about as well. That seems like he's been a nice spark. You need guys like that. Absolutely. And I think these last couple of games weren't Foodie's best games. Yeah. That doesn't take away from the flashes of greatness that you did see in some of the others leading up to it. And so that conversation happens before Foodie gets reassigned, obviously. Right. Right. But you have players now, Makar and Newhook, saying he's made a good impression. Yep. And that is why it points to this isn't the last you've seen of Foodie. It's not the last you've seen or heard of him. What Newhook was talking about there, like we were alluding to, he gets sent down at the beginning of last year. Then he gets his one call back up, and he's never left. Jared Bednar said we saw a completely different player. 
That's what the Avs are hoping they get out of Foodie. That's what they are really hoping they get out of a guy like Martin Kaut. Martin Kaut has been recalled by the Avalanche. Before we go any further, were you surprised by the recall? So when Foodie and Houdon reassigned, that was what I thought was coming next, but still surprised, to be honest. Um, I didn't know if this is sort of a good faith gesture in the organization. Now that he has cleared waivers, it is a lot less risk to have him come back up and say, okay, you spent a, two weekends with the <laughs> Eagles, produce points in both those series. What can you do now? Yeah. What have you learned? Because we'll talk about this too. It's going to be in the written piece, but multiple people in the organization have now told me that there's a night and day difference in how Kelt responded to clearing waivers this time compared to earlier in this season. And even just talking with him, we'll have a clip later too. Yeah. hearing from him. You can hear a little bit of a difference in how he self-acknowledges what went wrong for him in this most recent stint with the Avs. Um, and I think that's why it's not completely surprising that he's in this room again. <sighs> Martin Couch is such an interesting player. We talked about him at length last week. And, and you know, look, we, we speculate on a lot of stuff. Is, is there maybe an issue in the room? Does he not get along with guys? Does he, you know... Is there a, a, a work ethic problem? Is he, you know, does he really not see eye to eye with the coaches? And we can't figure out what it is. Um, I agree with you. He's gotten more. It's, it feels like he. I've never heard him talk the way he's talked today and the way he talked to you um, a few days ago, where. You and I criticize him a little bit. Well, I don't want to speak for you. I criticize him a little bit at the beginning of the year. At training camp, just the dichotomy between the, the, you know, what he was saying and what Sampo Rantu was saying. They were both delivering the same message, but it came off very different. Martin Kaut felt very doom and gloom. Sampo Ranta sounded very optimistic. And it felt this morning talking to Martin Kaut like he understands it's no more cliches. No more like, yeah, this is my last chance to make the team. It's like, I wasn't good. I have to be better. I just wasn't good enough. It's not nobody likes. It's not that nobody likes you. It's not that you don't get along. It's not that you don't this. It's not that your English isn't good. It's you weren't good enough. Your play wasn't good enough. And that is all Jared Bednar bases his decisions on in terms of lineup. And we'll get some more context too. Like he comes back from having had the flu his conditioning took a toll yep. as a result of that. And he acknowledges that, but he also is simultaneously not trying to make excuses for yep. that either. Kaut, that is. Um, and the other side of it is understanding Kaut as a person a little bit too. Talking with him, he does still have a very raw, unfiltered way in how he talks about it. Like, he's really hard on himself. Yeah. But in the course of this interview I did in Loveland last week, he cracks two jokes. Mm -hmm. And so it almost is like a break from character because I think he is just kind of like that. Um, yeah. And so you have to factor that in when you hear him speak about himself. It does sound like he's really hard on himself, but he'll finish the answers to his questions like in Loveland saying, and hopefully I can come back up. So like he didn't close that door on himself, even though he was coming down pretty hard. I'm going to ask you one quick question and then and we'll jump into that, that interview. Uh, I was talking to Kyle Fredrickson from the Denver Gazette and we were waiting to get into the room this morning. He goes, I'm, I'm anxious to talk to Kout. He's always got something interesting to say. And I kind of like laughed at first because I was like, he doesn't ever really have much to say. But I think Kyle's right in that when you get him to talk, I don't know if it's that his, it's because his English isn't great and he doesn't know how to filter himself sometimes. But like I genuinely or generally feel like what we get from Martin Kout is pretty raw. 
Kevin McGlue, the communications radio, he does a lot of things for the Eagles. He, after the Cow interview, said, that was really honest. Yeah. <laughs> and he knows Cow. Like, he knows that is who he is as a player, how he answers questions. But yeah. Cow was really forthcoming when I was up in Loveland last week. And I really appreciated that. Helped me to understand him as a player and piece together what Bednar's saying, Cronin's saying, and what Cow is saying. I'm starting to see these things link together a lot more clearly now um, than before. Probably he, he told me this before I played the first game with the Avs. He don't care about the point, just play physical, play hard. I didn't play great the last two games, I know. I told him like I probably deserve be be like sent down to, to to the Eagles. So of course I was mad but I was mad because I didn't know they sent me on waivers. I I figure out like after the practice. Yeah, that wasn't okay. Yeah, like my, my family sent me this and I, I didn't know that but whatever, like it's it's okay but uh, I don't know how many games I will be here, hopefully. You said that you weren't happy with those couple of games yourself. What didn't yeah, you like yeah, or didn't yeah. feel like you did to your best? I didn't stay like the games before. I wasn't too high on the fourth check, back check. So, but probably it was because my condition stuff wasn't great. I, I lost like 10 pounds during when I had the flu. Yeah. So probably that, that was the reason, but they don't care, right? It's. It's my response to be to be ready for playing game. I wasn't ready, so it's my fault. It's he he is he, he's an, he's an honest person. Um, you felt felt for him getting sent down. Not gonna put anyone on blast, but we all knew that Martin Kaut had been put on waivers before Martin Kaut did. Um, so yeah, it led to a bit of an awkward exchange. Uh, they're there, you know, after practice last week. Um, do you think he struggles with confidence at all? Absolutely. And I think that, that's how he presents to me. That's I mean, absolutely. Basically, in, in these links and these pieces that I'm putting together, he does struggle with confidence a bit. And that is sort of one reason the organization has pointed to him being in the Eagles is he's going to play 20 20 minutes, and even though he'll have a top-line, top-six role, he still needs to have fourth-line habits because that is sort of the role that's available to him. Kaut acknowledges, too, like, if the Avs get fully healthy, I'm not playing on the first line, is what he had told me. And in that interview, he says, I probably deserve to get sent down. Well, well so I'll take it even a step further. This morning, uh, I believe it was Peter Boff from The Athletic asked him about, you know, you went down to the Eagles and it went pretty well. You were able to get on the board. And he goes, yeah, I scored a couple goals. That's my role there. That's not my role here. And that was the first time I've heard him acknowledge something like that. And Megan, you and I have talked about it. Uh, this is where I get frustrated with the narrative around Martin Kaut. Oh, they're just not using him right. They're not whatever, whatever. It's like, cool. He needs to find a way to be useful right now. Your, you, like your roster spot is far from sewn up. When, you're, when you know you're on the team, you know, you've, you know your spot is locked in, that's when teams can start trying to get you into advantageous situations. Martin Kaut, like, you got to, we just talked about Foodie. Jean-Luc Foodie took the role they give them, gave him and ran with it. Had a couple games there where he dipped a bit, so Jared Bednar said, hey, keep going to get more polished. But Jean-Luc Foodie understood right away, I got to do something different here than what I've done in the past. It's nice to hear Martin Kaut acknowledge that for me. And Bednar said this morning, like, Houdon and Foodie, their games dipped a little bit. And that's why Kaut's here. 
to see what Kaut can bring. What can Kaut do then? What can Kaut do differently from these two other players who are not, no longer here? And it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, in this feature piece, I'll talk a little bit about his support system. And so hopefully we get a glimpse into ways that he is supposed to build his confidence. He's wearing a letter in Loveland. And the way Cronin pitched that, that to me was like, I don't know, you know, cart before the horse kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this inspires leadership in him. But he's also one of the longest tenured players of the Eagles right now that this is sort of owed to him, too. That was actually where Kaut made a joke that Jason Megna was like his dad. And so because he is like a son, that is why they gave him the letter. Nah. I wasn't fully following the joke, but I, I see what he's saying. And <laughs> it was good to hear him crack jokes, though, too, because he was hard on himself about the conditioning. But it does sound like he had a 30-minute conversation with Jared Bednar. He was upset that he didn't know he was on waivers until after practice. So once he had this 30-minute sit-down with Bednar, it became a lot clearer. I think it helped the communication between the organization and the player smooth that over just a little bit because it did upset him that yeah. he didn't know he was on waivers and he had to find out a hard way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and honestly, I feel more encouraged about just what's happened in the last week with Martin Kaut than really anything of the last several years. Honestly, like, Hearing him crack a joke, he doesn't normally do that. Like, I think there there does have to be part of this where, uh, and now <laughs> you have to be careful with this because he's a guy who notoriously has some effort issues. But like, don't take it so seriously. Relax a bit. Find your game. Be the kind of player that you are, and and let your instincts take over, um, and just remember what it's like to enjoy the game. And I think that's maybe the part that's been missing for Martin Cout a bit here um, that you hope he can find. Um, and you hope he can stick. We all had him as number one on our, you know, call ups. Uh, and that was purely because he had stuck around for so long right after that, he gets sent back down uh, to me. How he responds to this is the make or break for Martin Cout. If he comes back and it's more of the same and he shows, Hey, he didn't really learn any lessons. Uh, you know, I don't know where it goes from here. If he can make a noticeable change in his attitude, the way he comes to the rink, the way he shows up every single day, um, you think this could maybe be a good thing for Martin Kaut. Uh Megan, let's wrap up here. Just something that I found a little bit of an interesting topic of conversation. Alexander Georgiev uh, has struggled a bit. I don't even know if I want to say struggle. His play has dipped from what we saw at the beginning of the year. You've gotten some nice, consistent starts out of Pavel Fransos. But just to make sure there's no confusion, confusion, as far as Jared Bednar sees it, this is still Georgiev's net. Absolutely. Honestly, this feels exactly how it was pitched to us at the beginning of the season. In their own words, both Francois and Georgiev, like it's a rigorous league. There are going to be split starts at points, and that is where Francois is excited to pitch in and help and get more starts than maybe he normally would in a different organization because of how they utilize their starting and their backup. It is a little bit like 1A, 1B. Mm -hmm. And as a result, too, Georgiev's games where he dips, there's still some pretty close games in there where yep. you wish, oh, maybe he made one or two more saves, but they're still pretty close games. Yep. There are not a string of tons of blowouts under Georgiev's belt here. It definitely hampers his confidence, but the strong performances we saw at the start of the season – there's no reason not to expect that that can continue for Georgiev. Yep. And you look, we've seen it now the last couple of years. Uh, you know, last year, Francois and Kemper, they had a really good relationship and they were able to kind of help pick each other up a bit when you're talking about, yeah, you have a rough game. 
cool. Take a couple nights off. We are fully confident in this guy right here. Francois gets back-to-back starts last week. Um, and again, it was just nice to give Georgiev that time off. I caught up with uh, Frankie uh, today. was able to ask him a bit about uh, how that tandem, how that relationship is kind of flourishing a bit and, and how Frankie sees himself. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we started well uh, as a partner. So it, it's only getting better because we get to know each other more. We had a couple of dinners together. So, yeah, I think the relationship is really good. How, uh, how much can you take from, from him, like from his game, the way he does stuff? How much do you guys kind of swap tips and secrets and stuff like that? Uh, you know, like we all, we talk about the games, uh, all all the details. So I think I'm I'm really open, and he he seems open too. So it's really nice if you can talk with the other goalie about all the details in the game. And uh, I think you know we're kind of similar that we're not uh, tall goalies. We are such we're kind of same same height. So uh, I think I can get some some stuff from his game for sure. And then just last one for, for you personally, how do you feel your, your game's at right now? Starting to get a few more consistent consistent starts? Yeah, yeah. You know, I get I get uh, two straight starts the, the other day and uh, it's always better if you if you play a couple of games in a row and uh, obviously getting some win helps too because uh, uh, I started the season with four four lost games in a row and that that's really not something you you want. So uh, I, I feel like it's getting uh, better and better. Awesome. Thanks so Thank you. First and foremost, before we go any further in this conversation, I love Pablo Francois. He is so great to chat with uh, in the room. He's always got something good to say. Um, and I, I, uh, I was telling him today, I was talking to him uh, after. I don't know if you saw that video the Avs social media team put out last week where like they were asking him, like he was drawing stuff out of a cup, like uh, who, who's the best trash talker on the team? Who's this? Who's that? And they asked him, what's the best dad joke you've heard? And he said, what's a fish with no eyes? Psh. And it, it, like, it legitimately killed me just hearing Frankie uh, say that. Or tell a dad joke. Cracked me up. Uh, I liked what he said about we're both smaller guys. We can take stuff from each other. I do think having goaltenders that click and go well together, I think it makes a difference. Absolutely. I think having a common language between the two is yep. also really important. Frankie then, does speak Russian, just for the record. <laughs> yes. Because you'll hear him sometimes yep. talking to each other. And it also helps a goaltending coach to mm-hmm. give them similar feedback because they profile kind of similarly. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, and the fact that they have a good relationship. I saw a photo of them on the road having dinner with John Luke Foodie. So it was like oh, nice. two dads <laughs> overlooking <laughs> John Luke Foodie. And it's like, I don't know if the, who's roomed with him on the road or what, but yeah. he does need an adult. And he's got two <laughs> very capable adults. He's got two, yeah. No, but it's just, it, it is, it's, it's nice, like I said, when one of them's not going, you I think this team has full confidence in if Frankie's not playing well, they got full confidence in Georgiev and vice versa. And it is nice that that Frankie's getting some more consistent reps now. That start of the year, the schedule was just so odd. The trip to Europe and all that stuff, uh, it really did. It felt like everything was kind of just being mishmashed together. And so it's nice to see him get a little bit more consistency. And I think that's reflected in his play. And Bednar said intentionally too, like he mm-hmm. wanted it to break out something like three games here, three, three games there split between these two players. Um, so they're not getting worn down too much, especially with the team battling so many injuries and yep. then illness. It is flu season. Yep. It's going to happen. Frankie missed a game last week. Sick. <laughs> right. So like just having, and this is why you pay something of a premium for a goaltender like Francois. Like, yes. 
because you know you can count on him to step up and start games and play as well as a starting goaltender would. Yeah. Even with the dip uh, in Georgiev's play, I don't think this Avs team is too worried about it. One thing that I wrote uh, in the Sundays of the Rink this week was get to the end of the season. Georgiev will have some games where this Avs team is going to help him out and really make life easy on him. You just need him and Francois to help get this Avs team across the injury finish line here over the next couple of weeks. Um, I think that's about all we got. Megan, is there anything that I missed that you were wanting to touch on? Nope. Cool. I think that's it. Uh, episode two of uh, At The Rink, now in the books. Uh, again, we'll be here every Monday. Make sure you guys are checking out that written piece um, coming out every Sunday. What we got? We got we got an audience, full audience in here. We can't even can't even get out. The audience is just the the applause. Oh my gosh! Full standing ovation. Everyone guys, in the company just came down here. It's a full standing stop. O all the way around the show. Uh, thanks, guys, so much. We'll talk to you next week.